with all this continual prayer, why no result? Why did I have to keep saying, in public, that I was a miserable sinner? Why was the subject of sex considered so toxic? These faltering and childish objections are, I have since discovered, extremely commonplace, partly because no religion can meet them with any satisfactory answer. But another, larger one, also presented itself. The headmaster was giving a no-nonsense talk to some of us one evening. You may not see the point of all this faith now, he said, but you will one day when you start to lose loved ones. Again, I experienced a stab of sheer indignation as well as disbelief. Why, that would be as much as saying that religion might not be true, but never mind that, since it can be relied upon for comfort. How contemptible. I am inflicting all this upon you because I am not one of those whose chance at a wholesome belief was destroyed by child abuse or brutish indoctrination. I know that millions of human beings have had to endure these things, and I do not think that religions can or should be absolved from imposing such miseries. Other non-religious organizations have committed similar crimes, or even worse ones. There still remain four irreducible objections to religious faith. That it wholly misrepresents the origins of man and the cosmos. That because of this original error, it manages to combine the maximum of servility with the maximum of solipsism. That it is both the result and the cause of dangerous sexual repression and that it is ultimately grounded on wish-thinking. I do not think it is arrogant of me to claim that I had already discovered these four objections before my boyish voice had broken. I am morally certain that millions of other people came to very similar conclusions in very much the same way, and I have since met such people in hundreds of places and in dozens of different countries. And here is the point about myself and my co-thinkers. Our belief is not a belief. Our principles are not a faith. We do not rely solely upon science and reason, but we distrust anything that contradicts science or outrages reason. We may differ on many things, but what we respect is free inquiry, open-mindedness, and the pursuit of ideas for their own sake. We are not immune to the lure of wonder and mystery and awe. We have music and art and literature, and find that the serious ethical dilemmas are better handled by Shakespeare and Tolstoy and Schiller and Dostoevsky and George Eliot than in the mythical morality tales of the holy books. We do not believe in heaven or hell, yet no statistic will ever find that without these blandishments and threats we commit more crimes of greed or violence than the faithful. In fact, if a proper statistical inquiry could ever be made, I'm sure the evidence would be the other way. We are reconciled to living only once, except through our children, for whom we are perfectly happy to notice that we must make way and room. We speculate that it is at least possible that once people accepted the fact of their short and struggling lives, they might behave better toward each other and not worse. We believe with certainty that an ethical life can be lived without religion, and we know for a fact that the corollary holds true, that religion has caused innumerable people not just to conduct themselves no better than others, but to award themselves permission to behave in ways that would make a brothel-keeper or an ethnic cleanser raise an eyebrow. Most important of all, perhaps, we infidels do not need any machinery of reinforcement. There is no need for us to gather every day, or every seven days, or on any high and auspicious day, to proclaim our rectitude or to grovel and wallow in our unworthiness. We atheists do not require any priests, or any hierarchy above them, to police our doctrine. Sacrifices and ceremonies are abhorrent to us, as are relics and the worship of any images or objects. To us no spot on earth is or could be holier than another. To the ostentatious absurdity of the pilgrimage, 
or the plain horror of killing civilians in the name of some sacred wall or cave or shrine or rock, we can counterpose a leisurely or urgent walk from one side of the library or the gallery to another, or to lunch with an agreeable friend in pursuit of truth or beauty. While some religious apology is magnificent in its limited way, and some of it is dreary and absurd, both styles have something in common, namely the appalling load of strain that they have to bear, how much effort it takes to affirm the incredible, how much self-respect must be sacrificed in order that one may squirm continually in an awareness of one's own sin, how many needless assumptions must be made, and how much contortion is required to receive every new insight of science and then manipulate it so as to fit with the revealed words of ancient man-made deities. God did not create man in his own image. Evidently it was the other way about, which is the painless explanation for the profusion of gods and religions, and the fratricide both between and among faiths, that we see all about us, and that has so retarded...